Welcome to the Board Shorts podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Cook, and I'm here with another easy to digest dose of valuable board and company director related information designed to help you to get on board and thrive in the boardroom. You're listening to episode 33, and you're about to have a front row seat to my conversation with leadership and team development specialist, Paul Lloyd, on the five dysfunctions of a board. If that phrase sounds familiar to you, it's because it's the title of a best-selling business book by Patrick Lencioni. When I read this book a couple of years ago, I was struck at how the five dysfunctions of the management team presented in the book are actually reflected in teams of all kinds, from the sporting field through to the boardroom. It's one of the best business books for the boardroom that I've read, and I've shared a link to it in the show notes to this episode. You can find those at getonboardaustralia.com.au forward slash podcast. When I ran into Paul recently at an event and he mentioned that he was newly accredited in the Patrick Lencioni CAPA Pro Network, I jumped on the opportunity to invite him onto the podcast to have a conversation about the five dysfunctions of a team as they apply to the boardroom. Thankfully, he accepted And as suspected, we had a great discussion covering how dysfunction shows up in the boardroom, how a board begins to overcome their dysfunctions, and what teams who think they're not quite in the dysfunction zone but could be better can actually do to get better. We also digress into other areas as when you start to unpack group dysfunction, you actually start to realize that it comes a lot from us, from our personal issues, for want of a better word, that we bring into the boardroom, along with our assumptions and our unmet expectations. It doesn't take long into a board career to realize that boards are more about people than they are about pure governance. So I'm certain that any board member or aspiring board member will find this conversation valuable. Paul, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for inviting me onto the podcast. Absolutely. Now, I always like to start with questioning some base fundamentals about the topic we're talking about. And we are talking about high-performing teams or rather dysfunctional teams, yes, yes. <laughs> but hopefully getting on to high performing. Why would we want or need a team, in particular to our conversation today, a board? Why do we want them to be high performing? Well, high performance, it depends how you define high performance, but in, in the terms that we're talking, really high performance is this ability of teams to be committed, to work together well, to be confident around what they're doing, to have high levels of trust and openness, and be really nimble and adaptive around what they're doing. And so high performance becomes essential in a more volatile and certain more complex world. Right, so that's everywhere. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we have alluded to this dysfunction thing that we're talking about. Um, and... 
I feel that every team is a team, regardless of the context or the environment that they are. So um, this, these five dysfunctions that we talk about, what exactly are they? So the, f- the five dysfunctions uh, were developed by a model from Patrick uh, Lencioni and it is used quite extensively throughout the world in this, in this corporate and organisational space. And really underpinning, uh, number one dysfunction is this absence or lack of trust. And what, what we mean by trust in this context is a lack of openness and a lack of vulnerability within teams. Mm. Because when that happens, it means that the teams aren't connected and, and don't feel comfortable talking together. And mm. often uh, a lack of trust is typified by over politeness yes. and not really talking about the important issues. And what happens when there's a lack of trust, we get the second dysfunction, which is a, a lack of productive conflict, you know, a lack of open debate around the challenging issues. So things are just happening, but they're not being asked about or talked about openly because it's too uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But when there's high levels of trust, things are more comfortable. But when we can have those open debates and, and you know, really focus on, on what's not working, perhaps at times, then it means we, we get more committed because we feel as if we've had our say, you know, and we talk about, be, you know, um, you know, being, uh, having our say and being committed, you know, mm-hmm. disagree and commit, if you like. Mm-hmm. And then that enables us then to build the fourth practice, which is a, accountability, mm-hmm. you know, doing what you say you're going to do and be, being committed to, to sort of owning and having integrity around, around our individual roles and accountabilities. And ultimately, the fifth practice is what we call um, results or the collective results of the team. So it all starts with trust. Absolutely. And the funny thing is, is I actually wrote an article about trust being the number one thing that boards need a very long time ago before I even read the book that uh, we're sort of basing this conversation on today. Uh, And I know with what you were saying just then, I could think of so many examples of my board experience where those things are happening. There's that lack of trust because there's a lack of vulnerability, then they're not having those candid conversations, yes, that productive yes. conflict, and people aren't able to disagree and commit. Mm. I, I find yes. that such a, a, a good skill even that people should be practicing yes. before they get into the boardroom to disagree and still commit to the decision that the team makes. Um, so I could speak to my... Um, experiences of how they show up in the boardroom but what sort of behaviors and outcomes have you seen come about because of some of this dysfunction in the boardroom well it, it can manifest itself in, in a number of ways I suppose at, at the at the you know at the root of a, a lack of trust uh, is, a, is a you can make decisions and not ha- not consider all the information because we don't feel that we, we can you know we, we be as we can be as open as we need to be, or we may not may let may let, let things slip through uh, that uh, we would normally raise because we feel there's not a lack of trust and so if I raise this, it's going to erode the quality of the relationship with with a, another board member and so I, I really don't want to put that board member offside so I, I won't ask the question and I'll, I'll sit on sit on my hands if you like. So we definitely see that sort of lack of progress around issues. And, and because we don't really resolve things because of a lack of trust and a, a lack of being able to have sort of open conflict, if you like, and, and debate, then what happens, issues tend to keep coming back. And we think because we haven't 
uh, talked about and they've gone away, but we know they still exist yeah. and they keep coming back onto the table um, and we keep on going over old ground and that's a classic sign that we're not really dealing with the issues in front of us mm. and we're, we're letting things sort of roll, roll on without any resolution. Right. That's a classic. Yeah, very common, you know, they keep on going over old ground. Uh, and, and you know, then, then things um, uh, become uh, avoided, you know, and we just don't talk about them anymore. There's also another element, if I think about it from an, an accountability perspective, is, um, you know, where, where we, we're not seeing the follow-through on decisions. Mm. So we think these things have been decided and uh, we've all agreed, but because there is a lack of accountability and a commitment and not feeling I've had a, a contribution to the decision, then I'm not going to do it. So I, I, I may commit or I may agree in the, in the yeah. board meeting, but, but then I, I, I've forgotten it or I've, I've gone on to something else because I don't really want to do it. And so because I, haven't, I don't feel heard, I don't feel listened to, and so I'm not really getting involved. Yeah, so you're not committed. Another classic, right? The, yes. Those board members that just don't pull their weight. Yes. And that don't do what they say they're going to do. Another classic that we see. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's often, a, you know, that, that's that lack of accountability. Uh, because I don't, I don't feel I've had my say. I don't feel I've been heard or, or been listened to. And the, 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 the trap really is, uh, it's often a lot of this dysfunction is typified by overly polite conversation. Mm. And so, you know, we, we, have, we have board meetings which are very polite, very amicable, but we're not really getting to the, the core issues that we, we should as a board to, 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 you know, to make sure that our organisations are really sort of being sort of fully reaching their potential. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that comes about from so many places, Um we're never really taught how to fight fair, no. how to have candid conversations anywhere. And then we get to the boardroom and then expect ourselves to be able to have that kind of conversation. Yeah, and, and you're touching on an important area there, which we'll, we'll, we'll get to a bit later, I'm sure. But it's, you know, we all have, because of our personalities and our styles, um, we all have a different tolerance to conflict, and some of us are more embracing of conflict and are quite happy to be blunt and direct. And others uh, are, you know, are more cautious around that, that area. And it's really important as a board that we have some really clear co conflict norms and protocols that we, we, we feel safe and um, uh, we buy into around discussions. So we always realise it's, it's not personal, it's about what's, what's best for the organisation. And we ask questions from the perspective of what's best for the organisation mm. and not necessarily around individual personalities or individual challenge, you know. But we say that, but it's so hard to actually embody that as a person. And then when you, your idea is being directly challenged by a, a peer who's on the board, that does hurt a little bit. <laughs> yeah, of course. And But uh, what we find is that once we've sort of explored... And it's very interesting conversation because we, we can, you know, quite quite clearly link uh, approaches to um, dealing with conflict and productive debate to personality type. Yeah. And some, you know, we've all got healthy and unhealthy ways in which we like to have productive conflict conversations. And once we tend to share those 
um, the, the the continuum of that levels of of ease or, or discomfort, then what what once we share that and it becomes recognised, then we know how because I'm a bit quieter and I'm more cautious how to approach me personally as opposed to approach somebody else in the team who's who's more up for a more robust debate. And so there's a there's a respect and an understanding of each other's style, which becomes key to. Um, making sure that we have the most productive conversations for the organisation. Yeah, so what's one person's confrontational is another's That's clarity. Right. That's right, exactly. Yeah. And what we abo- above all what we want to avoid is is the uh, background in white anting or gossiping yes. outside of the board. You know, we want to keep, keep the conversation in the board yeah. uh, around what the important issues are. And um, there are certain styles that are more prone to that sort of behaviour than others. Um, which is unhealthy but likewise yeah. you know what we often when we buy into the protocols and feel we had we've had our say and feel listened to then we we're you know we're much more happier to buy into decisions as, as, a, as a human behavior you know? yeah absolutely especially if we're being heard um like you said i i feel like so much of um where problems are stemming from, where these, if we're going to use the terminology, dysfunctions seem to be coming from, is that everyone's kind of coming at this, we use the board as an example, Mm -hmm. everyone's coming to the board meeting, to the board context, with all these assumptions. I'm assuming what your motivations are, what your point of view is, what your level of trust, and I'm assuming it with every other person too, and I'm assuming that what we do here is is done this way, but then you're coming in assuming things a totally different way, but no one's ever talking about the assumptions and getting them out on the table. Yes, yes. And, you know, that is the thing. I mean, you know, we we talk about the five dysfunctions of a team, but really what what we're talking about is the the five cohesive behaviours of a team. Because when, we, when we're more cohesive and collaborative as a team, as a board, then we, we, we generally will be more high-performing. And you know, we, we talk about, from a team perspective, the difference between high-performing boards or high-performing teams and mediocre teams and mediocre boards. You know? And um, for us, the main difference is high-performing teams are much better learners. They've worked out what's working, they keep doing it, and they stop doing what's not working. Mediocre teams you know, keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So what these behaviours are, are, you know, of trust, uh, productive conflict, commitment, accountability and results enable is more effective learning and collaboration together because the more we can learn together, the, you know, the, the, more we, the better we adapt and the more nimble we are to what's, what's coming at us in this volatile, complex and certain ambiguous world that, uh, which, which we call the, you know, the business landscape. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and I always advocate that people have an idea of all of that. They've got to keep their eye on that as a board member. Yes. Yeah, Think of the bigger picture. Picture, yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we that's what we know for certain is is, is it, there's going to be ch- lots of change, and if we if we're not fully cohesive, and um, collaborative and, and really outstanding at learning together as a board, around you know a, a, a adjusting our approach at times around where we want to where we want to head, the direction doesn't change, right? But how we get there needs to change at times. Then, and if, and if you haven't got the right behaviours of, of, you know, to, to enable that to happen, then we, we're less effective as a board around learning together. Yeah. So is there, like, a model of the perfect team member? 
No, and this is this is the interesting piece around a, a lot of this research around high performance. I think is that you know we we use a, a personality profile as part of this exercise just to encourage board members and and team members to share their their sort of profile and and just to build understanding of of self and and share that with with others. And what we do know is it doesn't really matter where where you sit on any personality profile, the key, the key difference that between those high-performing boards and mediocre boards is much more around the behaviours they demonstrate. So I, it doesn't matter if I'm more of a dominant person or more of a, a steady influ, influencer or, or more conscientious style, if I use the, the DISC um, terminology, for example. But what does matter is how we bring those behaviours to the, to the boardroom mm. table and uh, feeling comfortable to be authentic and be ourselves around our style and, and have our own personality and style and, and expertise um, sort of appreciated and, and recognised. And generally, when there's that level of, of trust within the team, there's a, there's a much more likelihood that we're going to be more high-performing. There's a lovely piece of research from Google uh, called Project Oxygen. This is a, a study over three or four years across over... 400,000 employees worldwide. And Google really wanted to get at the core of what was it within their organization that differentiated those high-performing teams from mediocre teams. And they, you know, being Google, they were convinced that it was going to be IQ. It was going to be the smartest teams, most intelligent teams would be the best high-performing teams. And what they found was after, after a lot of research, it came down to what they called psychological safety yes. or what we would call trust yeah. in this context. And that seems to be the differentiator. Where there's higher levels of, of psychological safety and trust in a team, those teams are then able better to have productive conversations, deal with conflict, get more committed, be more accountable, get better results. So it's it, all roads seem to come back to, to trust and psychological safety as, as the underpinning foundation of high performance. How fascinating. Mm. And so then would you recommend that any board, so say if there's a board that that feels that they're dysfunctional and they want to start to change, or even teams that think they're kind of doing okay and wouldn't necessarily call themselves dysfunctional, which is quite a harsh, harsh definition to yes, some people. Yes, yes, yes. Is building trust mm. or, or investing in, in doing things to enhance the trust of the group, is that where you would recommend they would start? Yes, I wouldn't get too hung up on the word dysfunction. Um, you know, it's a book title and it's, it's probably designed to sell books. Um, but what, what I would say, and it's interesting where, where um, the sort of the, the originating reason of um, this model is used in different contexts with boards. I, I find it's used as a professional development. You know, sometimes there's an audit um, that requires the board to sort of spend some time on professional development, you know. So it, it, it's a really good space to sort of focus on around just board development per se, you know. Um, it's certainly, it's a good um, corporate governance check if you want to get a bit of a team assessment uh, and, a, and a confidential view of how the team thinks they're going as a board. Um, and obviously it can address if there have been particular um, shortfalls identified. Uh, it can address... Uh, team performance from that perspective as well but see you know um, whilst it's called dysfunctions I would see it as a strategy really for building more cohesion 
and collaboration in, in teams right. and boards. So what does that look like? I know that, that those are two words that are heavily used mm. in any sort of mm. team conversation. Mm. What does that really mean? Yeah, so we, we start with a team effectiveness assessment. Yeah. So we ask the board members to complete a confidential survey um, and to rate the, the, their board uh, as, as peers around the, the, the five practices of, of trust, productive conflict, commitment, accountability, and collective results. And, um, you know, that, that's then consolidated into a report, and we then feed back um, the report to the, the board. Um, and, and this, again, this is all confidential, just for the, for the board. And out of that um, discussion, we, you know, the great thing is we get some data in the room, it's a chance for the boards to sort of share their perceptions um, more easily, as opposed to you know be, you know having to articulate them individually, and and then um, out of that conversation, um, we're able to really focus on so what are the strengths of the board, that what are the things we need to keep focusing on, but what are some development opportunities that as a board we would like to focus on you know and, and it almost doesn't matter what the assessment says in some ways. It's more around the quality of the conversation that that assessment mm -hmm. can drive for the board Absolutely. and make it, making it safe to have these discussions, you know? Yeah, and question all those assumptions that's that right. everyone's... That's right, you know, with. because, I, you know, I think this board has a high level of trust. Somebody else may not agree. Yeah. And I, when do we ever have that conversation? Yeah, never. Yeah, that's right. So how often do, do you get a report back from a board that's... All the board members have filled in, they've assessed themselves against these five... Um, elements mm. we're not calling them dysfunctions <laughs> how often do you get the situation where what people think is reality ends up being totally different from the results yes. in this yes. feedback yes yeah there is um again it's, it's interesting in in the sense that when we talk to boards generally individually, um, they, you know, most boards feel they go quite well and they're, they're okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, when they do a survey, um, I don't know what happens, but they become much harsher markers on a survey than they are normally when they're talking about their boards when How they're together. Fascinating. How fascinating. <laughs> Which is an indication of the, of the level of openness uh, right, of, right. Of, of some boards, I suppose. Um, so generally speaking, the boards tend to be a bit a bit a harsher marker than than um, they uh, they actually would describe themselves, right. and I, and it may be the fact that it's a rating skill we use from a strongly agree to a strongly disagree, and we're asking boards to rate frequency of certain behaviours that we right. are asking them you know around building trust around having productive conflict conversations and how often does that sort of thing happen you know, um, so. Uh, we, we get the data and and it there can be qu quite a difference between how it's talked about and how it's actually rated huh. tends to be we tend to be more generous when we talk about it compared to how we rate the board well is that just symptomatic of that issue that you talked about everyone sort of having those pleasantries and the nice conversations not really drilling into those yeah I, I think I think issues. a survey is a chance to really sort of you know, <laughs> let, you know, get your enable your frustrations and right. and have you know just just articulate a bit more factually yeah. what it is I would like to see more of in this board. You know, um, and you know, as I said, 
we 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 strongly advise not to get hung up on the on the scores. It's more about the conversations that the scores generate is the value of, of any survey in this space for us. Absolutely. So what about boards that may not be in the position to invest to work with someone like you, which I always recommend to have an external facilitator mm. on mm. these types of conversations because they can go completely sideways just given what their conversation's about. What about those boards that that don't have access to that, what, what are some things that they can do to start having those kind of conversations that stem from doing the surveys that you're talking about? Yeah, I'd certainly recommend getting hold of the book and yeah. uh, as, a, as a first pass, you know, have a read of the book. There, there is a, um, a quite a useful self-assessment in the back of the book that you, you, you could, you, you know, you quite easily complete uh, on your own and get your own thoughts together. But then um, there are some sort of uh, checks you might want to, conversational checks you might want to have as a board around, um, you know, things like, you know, what are our conflict norms? How do we deal with contentious issues? And, and are we sort of comfortable raising contentious issues and having a bit of a conversation around that? Um, what are our rules of engagement? Um, you know, what, what, are, what are expectations of each other? around preparation, around contribution during and follow-up after uh, meetings. And have we really articulated those? So that's another good piece that to... Because to, uh, there's an assumption that all board members have the same sort of experience and know what's expected of a board member. And that, as we know, that can, that can uh, differ, yeah. differ quite a bit. A simple conversation that we facilitate um, is um, just talking to each member and telling them what we value in each other. And what we'd like to see done differently, perhaps, from each other, you know. So, so we, we, we're having a skills sort of conversation around board members, which is a good indication of the level of openness and trust in a team. Or just doing a simple sort of um, personality profile and just sharing what's yeah. our different styles in the, in the group. So there, there are lots of elements that can build this greater openness and trust and understanding um, within a board that that can really help it be more cohesive and, and collaborative. Yeah, a board book club sounds good. Yeah, yeah. It's part of every board would, would think there's some area they could get better at, you know, yeah. and so this becomes a bit of pref professional development, you know. Yeah, some might think that how they deal with a contentious issue is a contentious issue <laughs> to bring up. <laughs> so you've got some real problems there if that's the case. Oh, my gosh. So, so what are a few things, a few recommendations for say that you're on a board you're having these kind of conversations you as a board member this is super awkward and uncomfortable to really be shining a light on on your behaviors your board members behaviors how can people get comfortable having these potentially uncomfortable conversations yeah as i said it comes back to you know, what do we, how do we want to be as a board and how do we want to, what are the, our do's and don'ts of, you know, the, the way, the way we raise topics, what, what's within scope, what's outside of scope, um, you know, it, it, it comes back to what, what does, um, what does directness mean for this group, you know, um, and what challenge are we sort of encouraging or, or discouraging? by how we're sort of 
laying out the meeting and and how we had planned the meeting and and how we share information during during before during and after meetings so all those elements contribute to that level of openness and um, and 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 sort of conversation but at, at its core we, we'd really recommend just getting very clear what what are your norms mm. around what and often you know as I, I touched on a bit earlier a lot of our conflict um, tolerance is from our you know our personality or comes from our previous experience of conflict whether that was good or bad and so um, understanding where we come from with conflict and why it's why it's important to have it and what conflict looks like for us all becomes a, a really important way of getting better at conflict so talking about conflict and be and being quite tangible around it is is the key yeah and the more you do it the more comfortable you get doing yeah, it. it exactly and and um you know if if we're not having if we don't have conflict that's not necessarily a good sign Absolutely. You know, as I as I said earlier, the the where we see low conflict tolerance is it's demonstrated by very overly polite and can I dare I say boring board meetings. Yes. <laughs> you know, We've all been there. <laughs> you know, there's there, there's not a there's not a energy in the room. Yeah. There's not a high level of engagement, and um, you know, we we we're just not we're not emotionally or personally engaged in the discussions, mm. and that that's we want to avoid that right. So. Yeah. So that's why having a real um, commitment to productive debate is so important. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Last question. What do you feel is the chair's role in all of this? Do they need to be the person driving this type of analysis, this type of conversation in the boardroom? Or can it come from anyone? Yes. Most of my interactions with boards have come from the chair. The chair's driven it. The chair's seen the value in professional development and the value in um, looking at ways in which, a, we, you know, as a board we can be better at what we, what we do. So I, I think the chair plays a key part around role modelling the five mm. behaviours and, yeah. and encouraging those behaviours in, 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 in other board members. So, for me, it all starts with the chair. Yeah, absolutely. So much does. Um, so, Paul, how can people reach out to you? Yeah, please look up our website, workingteams.com.au, or, or please send me an email if you'd like to have a chat or any further information at paul at workingteams.com.au. And uh, if, if there's anything, just a, a chat or anything like that, please, please. Um, just get in touch. That's great. And we'll have all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences, sharing your perspectives on the five dysfunctions of a team or your version, which is... The five behaviours of cohesive teams. We love that just as much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your time today, Paul. Thanks, Lisa. Really appreciate it. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I invite you to share that you're listening and what your takeaways are from this conversation with Paul using the hashtag BoardShortsPodcast on social media. If you haven't already, I invite you to subscribe, rate and review the BoardShorts podcast on your favourite podcast app. I look forward to talking with you in the next episode. Bye for now.
Board Shorts podcast is powered by Get On Board Australia, the destination for aspiring and new board members, helping you to get on board and thrive in the boardroom.